0: The podcast episode contains discussions of domestic violence and its effect on mental health. The content may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, particularly those who have experienced or are currently experiencing domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. If you are or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please seek help from a qualified professional or
1: domestic violence hotline.
2: Welcome to the second episode of our podcast callback anytime brought to you by the students of the capstone class at york university my name is julian Blameyers, and i'm joined by my co-host Naval khalid before we begin we would like to start with a land acknowledgement york university recognizes that many indigenous nations have long-standing relationships with the territories upon which york university campuses are located that precede the establishment of york university York University acknowledges its presence on the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations. The area known as Tukoronto has been taken care of by the Anishinabek Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Huron-Wendat. It is now home to many First Nation, Inuit, and Métis communities. We acknowledge the current treaty holders, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This territory is subject of the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, an agreement to peaceably share and care for the Great Lakes region. And now I'll pass the mic off to my co host, Naval.
0: Let's welcome Charlene Avalos from Native Child and Family Services, located at 30 College Street, Toronto. Native Child was established in 1986 by elders, knowledge keepers, grassroots leaders, and community members. Native Child and Family Services of Toronto is a multi-service urban Aboriginal agency providing holistic culture-based programs and services for Aboriginal children and families. Native Child and Family Services of Toronto strives to provide a life of quality, well-being, caring and healing for children and families in the Toronto Native community. So first, Charlene, uh, can you tell us about your organization, your work, and what resources are available?
1: Oh, okay, that's a big question. Um, Well, I I think I should start at the beginning, if that's okay, because I think framing things and grounding things in what are um, way of seeing and doing is really important because we come from a very Indigenous-led lens. And uh, so, I'm going to just take you back a little bit. Um, 19, in 1989, Native Child opens its doors for services. Prior to that, the elders and community leaders in uh, downtown Toronto recognized the need for supportive services and healing services for community members, Indigenous community members in Toronto and so they lobbied to get funding and in 1989 we were able to open our doors and at that point there were four frontline social workers, um, our supervisor who was an elder and traditional knowledge keeper and our executive director and the elder when he brought us all together said that um, it wasn't worthy to start an organization such as Native Child without first bringing in the spirit of the agency. And because his teachings, he he um, was taught the Cree medicine wheel, He, although he was an Ojibwe man, his teachings were the Cree medicine wheel teachings from his elders. And basically those teachings uh, taught that whenever you start something, you have to start in the Eastern direction, which is the place of new beginnings. Mm-hmm. It's the place of spirit and it's the place of uh, bringing that spirit into fruition. And so what he did is he took us out for four days and four nights to fast without food or water to really come together as a group of people to bring the consciousness of the agency into being. And that's what we did. And I, I say that um, it's really important to understand the Eastern direction because uh, for in the indigenous worldview, The um, spirit is really connected to the earth and it's all interconnected. Everything is interconnected and relational. And I think when we talk about um, domestic violence, we call it family violence and I'll explain why we call it family violence. But um, family violence and domestic violence, I think, really needs to be understood, too, with the violence against uh, the perpetration of the earth and everything that's happening to the earth because of a very capitalist um, white supremacist point of view. And so um, at Native Child, we take a completely different philosophical stance and our teachings are very different than say mainstream, which comes from a more feminist perspective of understanding family violence. And so as we go through this podcast, I hope I can un- I can sort of relay what those things are. Um, we have well, n- many, many resources and um, but first, I may—I think it's important for me to talk to you about how we see family violence and why we call it family violence and not domestic violence. In the late, um, I guess, uh, 1990s, we were a pretty well a supportive agency. We didn't have the child welfare mandate, which is a statutory protection services. As a supportive agency in the 1990s, we were getting a lot of women coming to us and men too, who disclosed sexual abuse, family violence, physical abuse, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And we really started to try and understand it and the only way we could understand it was from the perspective of colonial uh, co- uh, colonization and the fact that um through colonization violence was perpetrated in every aspect of life through um you know the treaty system uh through geno- i mean it was really genocide the uh the killing of thousands of people the removing them off of their territory the taking away of culture, the taking away of children, placing them in residential schools. And we all know what residential schools, it perpetuated physical, sexual, emotional, and spiritual abuse. And then it was followed with the child welfare system. And then we see today, you know, the number of children in care of, of indigenous children is off the charts, the number of indigenous people in uh, penitentiaries in the federal systems uh, is off the charts. And so too is um, domestic violence and violence against young women and, um, and you know, older women and even young and men, because we're seeing that within families, the whole um, as, uh, family violence has been perpetrated through intergenerational trauma. And it's landed now where we're seeing not just women being abused, but their partners are being abused, um, family members are being abused. So when we looked at family uh, domestic violence, we said we really need to look at the whole family. We can't just treat victims of abuse because everybody's a victim of colonization in the Indigenous community. And so we have to find a way to deal with this whole situation holistically. And so our resources at Native Child uh, look at things holistically and we look at um, working with the victims, we look at working with the perpetrators, we work with the children, And we work with family members. And I can tell you how we do all that, you know, as we move through it. But that's where holism comes in. You know, we just we we talked about it extensively that if you're just going to treat victims, what happens to the perpetrators? And we all know that when you isolate the perpetrators, you're increasing the risk. So part of our work is we work with the perpetrators through a program called the PAR program which is a partner assault response program. And it's through the courts. So men or women who are charged, go before the courts, the judge and the judge says, okay, if you take this program, we will reduce your sentence, or you won't have to go to jail or whatever, you know, you'll be on probation, it's up to the judge to decide. So we have a A program where men, it used to be only men would come and get services and learn how to really a big part of was teaching them about the history of colonization, the roots of family violence, the fact that, um, you know, they're sitting in the room for perpetrating violence because of a long legacy of colonization and historical trauma. So it's not letting them off, it's asking them to accept responsibility and accountability, but also learn about the teachings, about culture, about the roles and the responsibilities of men and women. The fact that in traditional times, men did not perpetrate violence. I mean, in in fact, in communities when there was violence like that, the person was banned and ostracized. So there was, you know, strict Um, The natural laws were in effect and everybody knew what their role and responsibility was. And with the disruption of colonization and everything that happened, people forgot those things. Culture was forgotten. Teachings were forgotten. So a big part of what we do in our groups and our circles is to reintroduce our community members to culture, to those teachings, to ceremonies, to enhancing their spirit, their spiritual self. And with victims, um, we have uh, groups as well. Um, We have a woman's empowerment circle. We do individual counseling. Um, We help with transitional housing. We have a really good program called the Here to Help Program, which is a mainstream program for victims and their children who have witnessed violence. Because we all know that when a child witnesses violence, it has uh, devastating effects, and that child will either grow up if they don't get help to be a continual victim or to become a perpetrator themselves. So part of the work that we do is working with the children um, and helping them Um, come to terms with what they've dealt with or what they saw and how they've been impacted and we work with their parents to help them in turn so we have the here to help group about three or four times per year, all of our groups are 12 week sessions and what we're focusing on is culture, um, ceremony, understanding roles and responsibilities. Healthy relationships, what it means, because some people don't even know what a healthy relationship is because they've never lived in that. Healthy communication, um, understanding emotions and being able to identify, um, become aware of emotions, um, be able to express and be able to regulate emotions. Because if you've grown up in a family where there's constantly family violence, you know, kids are are um, diagnosed as ADHD and all that. But a lot of it is trauma related, and they can't stay still, it's like they're all over the place, because the cortisol in their brain is, you know, increased tenfold. So we help them regulate emotions. And we do individual play therapy with the kids, we do groups, we do family work. And we also help them, you know, if you move through the medicine wheel in the north, the physical, to come up with some good coping uh, strategies, you know, learning how to um, nurture yourself, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sort of talking very fast. So stop me if you want to ask questions, I'm sort of trying to give you a million things in one answer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for providing that summary and um, all the values behind a native child. Um, So I just wanna present some statistics uh, before we move into a discussion. Um, So more than six in 10 indigenous women have experienced physical or sexual assault in their lifetime. According to a general social survey on victimization in 2014, 21% of indigenous people in the provinces self-report witnessing violence committed by a parent Step parent or guardian as a child compared to 10% of non-Indigenous people in the provinces. More than four in 10 Indigenous women have experienced <laughs> sexual violence in their lifetime. Rates of spousal assault or another family member against Aboriginal women and girls are more than three times higher than those against non-Aboriginal women. Aboriginal women 15 years and older are 3.5 times more likely to experience violence than non-Aboriginal women. So now that we have presented these statistics, um, we have a couple of questions for you, Charlene. What are your thoughts on these statistics?
1: Well, I think it just is an example of what I was talking about, the historical intergenerational trauma that is raising its ugly head now, and we're seeing it everywhere. Um, violence is perpetrated um, against Indigenous women, uh, youth, uh, children um, much high, at a much higher rate than the mainstream um, community. But I do have to say that the Indigenous community is one of the fastest healing communities um, I think, in the world because it um, was at the, you know, because of all the devastation that happened that there's a really big movement um, in the Indigenous community towards healing all members of a family. And, you know, uh, not only is it family viol- uh, domestic violence, but also, you know, sex trafficking in the Indigenous community is very, very high because, uh, and we've just decided, just um, started a new anti-human trafficking program two years ago to address that issue. So I think, you know, again, the word domestic violence is too narrow um, for the Indigenous community because it's all the violence that has been perpetuated against the community, including uh, sex trafficking and grooming, et cetera. I mean, we have young girls as young as 12 and 13 who are being groomed.
0: Um, Our second question is, uh, our statistics reveal that Indigenous women are more likely to experience domestic violence than non-Indigenous women. Um, Why do you think that
1: is? Um, I think that is um, because of, um, well, two things. You know, one is because family violence is perpetrated within families. So if you have an Indigenous family and they all, their parents and grandparents went to residential school where they learned about, um, you know, they weren't parenting, they weren't parented. There was physical, emotional, sexual and spiritual abuse. And when they went back to their communities, some of that stuff still continued. The other thing is, is you need to look at um, the uh, poverty that many indigenous, indigenous people are in, um, you know, the, um, yeah, the poverty, the social, uh, the social indicators of, um, you know, uh, healthy living, you know, poor housing conditions, uh, the nutrition, I mean, some communities in northern Ontario don't even have clean drinking water. Um, the rates of alcoholism as a way to cope and drug addiction as a way to cope with all the intergenerational tra- trauma and the living conditions are off the charts. So that all perpetrates family violence and domestic violence. I think when you have also Indigenous women living with non-Indigenous men, there's still that real stereotype and racist uh, uh, um attitude people don't even realize how racist they are towards indigenous people and what the stereotypes are you got to re- you got to remember that it was in you know the confederation uh, when in um, John A. mcdonald stood up and said this is a white country and as a result of that the indian act was enacted which um, demonized Indigenous people and made them, you know, it, it says right in the Indian Act, I want to make Christian and farmers out of the um, heathens and savages. So that whole um, sorry, stereotype about Indigenous women is very much alive and well, even to this day. People think, oh, you know, there's no s- such thing as racism, but there is. And I have uh, two grand Indigenous granddaughters who have often said to me, grandma, you have no idea what it's like to be Indigenous in high school uh, these days. So I think that those kinds of things have to be taken into consideration. Again, systemic racism, socioeconomic conditions, intergenerational trauma, um, isolation on some of these, in some of these communities, lack of resources in Northern communities, lack of clean uh, water and good food. Etc.
0: Thank you. Um, so I know you've already touched on this, but looking at Canada's history, specifically at colonization, uh, do you think there is a connection between the impacts of colonization, domestic violence, and can you expand
1: on that well, connection? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. There is a 100% correlation and there's also a hundred percent correlation to domestic violence, um, colonization, and the destruction of the planet that we're living on. You know, um, the lack of uh, the lack of awareness and consciousness about uh, the Earth, and um, it, it it perpetrates to all human beings as well because we're living in a capitalist world uh, society and worldviews, which is about Uh, patriarchy, it's about domination, competition, and ownership, as opposed to the Indigenous worldview, um, which is about, um, you know, cooperation. It's about people uh, honoring the earth and recognizing how we're all interconnected. It's about, um, uh, you know, you know, everybody having a role and responsibility and no domination of one person over another or one community over another. So what colonization did was it brought in very capitalist worldviews and values as opposed to the indigenous worldview and values, which is very different and much more holistic, interrelated and interconnected with everything, including the earth. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um What are some
0: contributing factors that can affect children and family members who are experiencing
1: domestic violence? I think I've already mentioned that poverty, Mm -hmm. systemic racism, lack of uh, housing, overcrowding, um, lack of food. um, In some northern communities, lack of resources, lack of clean drinking water. So, I mean, you know, the a situation in northern communities is very different than, say, in Toronto, where there's more resources in Toronto than, say, in some somewhere like, um, you know, James Bay in isolated communities.
0: Yeah, so research has shown that there is a direct negative relationship between domestic violence and mental health. Can you speak about that?
1: Well from my perspective and from the indigenous perspective mental health is an imbalance in the spiritual psychological emotional and physical aspects of a human being and i think again the mainstream way of looking at mental health is they just want to deal with somebody on a um, emotional or psychological level in the indigenous community there's the recognition that you have to deal with all. four quadrants of if human being and create balance for health so really um if somebody's out of balance um you know they're not going to be able to handle um the, the internalized anger and oppression and racism that they carried and so they lash out to those closest to them whether it's their partner or their uh, other family members so absolutely mental health in um, the Indigenous community is, you know, very um, impacted um, by what's happened. But as I said, a lot of uh, resources are now being put into place to help the community deal with those issues. But absolutely, there's a correlation between mental health. You know, um, mental health and, you know, we call it concurrent disorders. A lot of times people when they have mental health issues, they um, try to deal with it through addiction, through alcohol and drugs, and never get to the root of like balance. And so that always can also contributes to violence.
0: I see, thank you. Um, So as an individual and as someone who's part of a community, we need to advocate to build awareness. Um, Does our government play an important role?
1: Well, the government plays an important role because all social policies, you know, flow from the government. And I think, you know, if you look at Truth and Reconciliation, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission really um, promoted the agenda of Indigenous people For to a certain degree. I mean, I've never, I've been in the communities working and living in the community since 1980. And for, I'd say, 20 of those years, the history of colonization and what's happened was Canada's well-kept secret. And through the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, where Chief Little John and Marie St. Clair went across the country and, you know, interviewed over 3,000 survivors of residential school, and that was documented, did um, things start to change because there was 30, uh, 94 calls to action with the, all the different levels of government, the federal, the provincial, and the municipal, to really bring awareness. I mean, the fact that you do a land acknowledgement is a result of the um, commission and the recommendation of the commission. The fact that people are taking um, uh, courses to try to understand colonization And, um, you know, what's happened in Canada over the last 500 years is really uh, a movement forward. Um, And it is a government that provides funding for all of uh, the different organizations. I mean, we're funded by the federal, the provincial and the municipal government, and they have a role to play um, in trying to bring healing and balance back into the community for sure. But, you know, The government always also has their own um, setbacks. And, uh, you know, we get program funding and we get programs established for maybe one or two years and then the funding dries out. We do have some core funding. Well, we have quite a bit of core funding, but yeah. Uh, Just to make it simple, the government, yes, has to play a role in all of this. Yeah,
0: this goes into my... um... Second question, what can all three levels of government do to address the issue of domestic violence and make resources easily accessible to individuals?
1: Well, funding, uh, for sure, (laughs) listening to the Indigenous um, community and what they need. And I think that that's it's really interesting because there's a lot of different committees um, for violence against women, that Native Child has sat on over the years. And I've been involved with different um, committees around um, VAW violence against women. And we've really um, proposed a more holistic, integrated approach to dealing with violence. Because, again, uh, from the Indigenous worldview, you know, um, making somebody just a perpetrator or a violator is not healing. Um, it's restorative justice. It's like healing for all family members. And I guess, you know, uh, I mean, if you wanted me to get specific, I could, but it's it's kind quite, quite complicated. Uh, you know, the federal government, if is in charge of, and and a lot of people don't know, when the Indian act was um, w- when we first when enacted, it made Indigenous status Indigenous people um, the uh, wards of the crown, which basically meant that the federal government had jurisdiction over all status Indians and all lands of status Indians. So uh, reserves, uh, First Nations communities are still under the jurisdiction of the federal government. And then like places like Toronto and cities you know, we get some federal funding, some provincial funding and some municipal funding. But one of the things I've seen over the years is that it becomes a political football game about who is responsible for that what. And a lot of Northern reserves are not getting the resources they need because the federal government is not responding to the needs. Um, you, you can see that very clearly if you drive up north and you'll see you know, the non-native communities and the houses are nice and they have white picket fence and blah, 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 blah. And then you move, go on to the reserve, and you'll see the houses are much different. And because they're funded in a different way, they're funded by the federal government, they're not um, municipal. So it becomes a political football game on every level. It was the same with child welfare, child welfare at one time was in the hands of the federal government through residential schools. And then it was transferred to um, the provincial levels. And it's, just a, it's, it's a, a much more complicated, so I won't get into it. But each level of government has a responsibility, absolutely.
0: For sure, thank you. Um, so now I'm going to move on to our main goal. We would like to remind our listeners about our main goal Our main goal is to provide an answer to how resources can become more accessible in specific communities. The aim of our podcast is to build awareness of the issue of domestic violence and how survivors in specific communities can access these resources. The Native Child and Family Services website includes various resources, services, and programs. To name a few, First one, children and youth, mental health and case management including one-on-one counseling, group and play therapy, prevention focused family skills building and support programs including our family resource program and the Inoche and Ziche programs, child and family well-being including kin finding and permanency options for children. Charlene, would you like to highlight some services and programs from Native Child?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, we have, a well, Native Child is both a child welfare agency and a treatment healing and prevention agency. So we're an integrated agency working with Indigenous people, not only in downtown Toronto, but we have different hubs all over the city. So for example, we have a hub in Scarborough, called the Scarborough Life Center. We have a hub at Malvern in Northern Scarborough. We have a hub in, at Kiel and, um, and Eglinton called Mount Dennis. Um, we have uh, daycare centers, two early year centers. We have transitional housing for women. We have transitional housing for um, men, young men. Um, we have the whole gamut. I oversee the healing services at Native Child, and that's if somebody is um, struggling with domestic violence, with family violence, and they want some help, they can call our intake department and ask for a referral. If they identify as Indigenous, they can call our intake department, uh, holistic intake department, and ask for a referral. And they can be referral to a case manager, to um, and all the different services we have. If it's family violence or domestic violence, we would refer them to a family violence counselor. If they want therapy, we would refer them to a therapist. We would get them involved with our circles and our groups if they want. I mean, it's a whole wrap around. We have a whole wrap around program. So when somebody comes in, we just don't deal with one part of the, family life, we deal with, again, spiritual, psychological, emotional, and physical. We have food security help, we have daycares, etc. Thank you. Um,
0: What is, uh, how can friends and family support their survivors of domestic violence?
1: I think, um, you know, families and friends can support because, by helping recognize helping person recognize that any kind of val- violence is not okay domestic violence sexual abuse violence any of that violence is not okay and that people need to get help and if it's you know sometimes it's also standing by that person and supporting them and making the decision because we have found that often a person who is the um, you know, subject of domestic violence, family violence, will return to the situation time and time again until they're ready to leave and ready to move forward. So just to have, um, to be there for that person, to support that person, to support their that, their choices, but to provide them with resources, you know, bring them pamphlets, let them know there's um, help out there, that kind of thing.
0: Yes, that's very important. And um, we would like to ask you one oh, last Can question. I just say, and
1: don't judge, don't judge, because the last yes. thing a person needs is to be judged and shamed because they already have enough shame and remorse and, um, yeah, around what's going on. So what we always say is externalize the violence and take it away from the person and, you know, try and heal all aspects of the family. 100%.
0: Um, we would like to ask you one last question before we leave. What is one message that you would like to tell our listeners?
1: Well, I think that there's help available um, without judgment. Um, we also have um, groups for people who have perpetrated abuse but may not have been charged but people who know that they have an issue with anger and need help. So reach out. Um, that's the first step. Um, And there are a lot of resources for Indigenous folks in downtown Toronto, including Native Child, but there's Native Women's Resource Centre, there's Anishinaabe Health, there's Council Fire, there's Aboriginal Legal Services, and there's two-spirited organizations. You know, you can even just Google Indigenous organizations and they'll all come up with the phone number.
0: Thank you. We want to thank Charlene from Native Child and Family Services for taking the time to share this valuable information with us, and we also want to take this moment to thank our listeners. Just a recap, Native Child and Family Services of Toronto follows a service model that is culture-based and respects the values of Native people, the extended family, and the right to self-determination. The Native Child and Family Services of Toronto Head Office is located at 30 College Street, Toronto. You can also visit the website nativechild.org to see the many programs and services they offer. They also have different locations around the GTA. Just to remind our listeners, our mission is to build awareness about mental health and domestic violence resources and make sure they can be accessible to specific communities. We would like our listeners to be aware of all the resources discussed, including the link for Native Child and Family Services and additional resources for the organization, which will be posted on our Instagram page at callback anytime, along with the transcript of this podcast episode. Again, thank you for listening and please stay tuned for the next episode.